Hey guys, we're back with another director spotlight for Find Your Film. It is it is my turn. I wanted as my choices have been predictable, guys like Brian De Palma and who, Walter Hill, guys like even someone who's who's really not known but fits my aesthetic is Joseph H. Lewis. So these are some of my picks. It's partly inspired by Eric Holmes' sort of out out of the box picks with. Oscar Michaud and Elise Guy Blachet. So all, all this kind of, and Bruce's picks are of Dario Argento. So, so Toshikon for me were also value added, but I wanted to do something really different for this spotlight. We're spotlighting a filmmaker who actually hasn't directed a feature length narrative. Her name is Maya Darren, and Maya Darren is considered a pioneer in experimental film. She's best known for the 19, I guess it depends on 42 for three, but I think it's 1943 short meshes of the afternoon. That's what she's, that is her, her calling card from that meshes of the afternoon. We'll be covering that short. We're also going to be covering her other shorts at land is going to be another short we're going to cover, but meshes of the afternoon. When people watch it, I believe it's close to about 14 minutes. The, the references to David Lynch goes on and on. She's linked to David Lynch because a lot of people like to compare her work with Lynch's Lynch maybe used Darren as one of his many influences when he embarked on his own film career. First off. um, So I, I basically tasked Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky with over the last couple of weeks to check out a couple of her works. I actually saw a documentary called in the mirror of Maya Darren, which I really enjoyed, but I thought mainly for, for this podcast, we really wanted to t- talk about her work, and I'll also give some insights to the documentary, whether you want to see it or not. I'm going to start off with Eric Holmes, first of all. How much of Maya Darren did you watch, and what were some of the illuminating points of just the last couple of weeks checking out some of her shorts? Well, previous to, and like a couple of our director spotlights, uh, previous to us doing the director spotlights, I have seen none of Maya Darian's work, nor have I heard of her. And that's why these director spotlights are so fun to me. So, you know, you know, sometimes we get to get into the William Freakens like, oh, I've seen that. I've seen his movies, but I haven't seen that one. You know, the uh, Joe Dante, I've seen all of them, but I'll watch them again. <laughs> this is one of the uh, the ones like uh, Joseph Lewis or uh, uh, Oscar Michaud, Elise Gablache, or, or Satoshi Khan, for that matter, where I have not heard of her, not heard of Maya Darren. And oddly enough, when we do these, I come to find out that they're there does seem to be like a an underground sort of like uh, Satoshi Khan's a perfect example. When Bruce brought him up and we started doing Satoshi Khan, I'm like, never heard of this guy. And then you get into his work and realize, Oh, there's a bunch of people that love this guy. And Maya Darren's no different. And her movies are, I would not call them easy to watch. For most people, even though they're, they're all with the clock in under 15 minutes, you know, between five and 15 minutes each. And uh, there does seem to be a, one that's a full length seasons of strangers from 1959. I haven't been able to find it, but uh, she, yeah, Maya Darren, <laughs> she makes some weird movies. The meshes of the afternoon is probably my favorite, although, uh, which is cradle is kind of a, a fun which is cradle remind me a lot of the kenneth anger we talked about him previously 
where it's uh, kind of just someone posing for a camera. The uh, was it Scorpio Rising? I think I seen. There wasn't much of a story to it. It was just kind of someone posing for the camera, and that's kind of what Witch's Cradle does. But it, it, I don't know. She she just uh, it it feels like she has this uh, she has this tool and she wants to try to just fuck around with it for a bit. Like, you know, let's see, let's see what this says. Uh, Meshes of the afternoon. That's a that's a perfect example and a great example of experimental filmmaking. Like uh, you see her going through the hallway and the camera's like moving this way and she's falling on this side of the room. And then the camera turns this way and she falls on the other side of the corridor, you know. So the, the camera's, it, it, it almost feels like the camera itself, as you move it, it affects the character inside the camera, if that makes sense. And, uh, well, of course, mirror face is probably one of the creepiest things I've seen. <laughs> a mirror face that has to deal with it. We're going to talk but, about that in a second. Yeah. That's... But, but then she's, and she has, uh, like, uh, stuff with meditation and violence, which is just 15 minutes of a guy doing uh, karate moves in front of a camera. There's, like, no narrative to it whatsoever. But that seems to, that seems to go into a lot of themes into her shorts. She seems to be very fascinated with movement and uh, specifically like rituals of movement. Oh, ritual in Transfigured Time is a good example. And then the private life of a cat, which is, I, I could be wrong, pretty sure that's the first cat video. So if you're on YouTube watching cat <laughs> videos, take my Derek because she might be the first person to ever do that. I don't know. I'm not a cat video historian. But I mean, came out nineteen or uh, nineteen forty six. So who knows? Is but, it worth yeah. watching? I didn't see it. I didn't see. It. I, I I'm, I'm a cat lover. I I wish I I had a cat. I, I used to have a cat. Is it worth watching? Just if you love cats, or maybe experimental film. Both. Um. I mean, it basically follows around a cat, and she kind of makes a narrative out of what would otherwise just be videos of cats doing nothing. But she somehow pulls a narrative out of it. it. It's almost like a documentary, and it may be a documentary. Oh yeah, documentary short. So I guess it counts as a documentary. And that that was actually co-directed by uh, pull the name up here, Alexander Hammond. Which, if you watch her movie, that name comes up quite a bit. Uh, they seem to be uh, co-conspirators, as it were. But yeah, my Darren, very interesting. Not I didn't love everything she did. Sure. But I would say with 100% accuracy that everything she did was at the very least interesting. At the very least interesting, Bruce Perky, she started off her artistic career loving poetry as a way to express herself. And Alexander Hamid, which Eric Holmes mentioned, he was her first husband. They collaborated together on Meshes of the Afternoon, released in 1943, co-directed by Darren and Hamid. So Alexander Hamid had a long career in filmmaking and as an editor. So one could probably assume that he was the one who showed her the ins and outs of camera work. She went from poetry as soon as she started to learn how to film, how to shoot. It was like, what is it? Like like a duck taking the water. She decided to ditch prose and go for the camera as the ultimate form of expression. Is Did you see a natural... With meshes, I remember the reason why I remembered Maya Darren is you mentioned Maya Darren on our podcast in an offhanded conversation, and you mes- mentioned meshes of the afternoon. 
what was your initial thoughts of just last two weeks of diving into Maya Darren? Did you find her to be a natural filmmaker as far as the camera goes? And I'm going to apologize because my Wi-Fi might be kind of bad. So if I if they have lags, everyone will know why. But uh, I'll power forward here. I don't know if I would say natural in the sense that I feel like kind of what Eric is saying is that she's really exploring, exploring and experimenting. So I think she's just trying a lot of things out. And sometimes it feels like an assured full idea. I think Meshes of the, af- of the Afternoon would be one of those where you feel... To me, that feels very like a very cohesive whole, even though it's experimental and it deals with a lot of interesting like time shifts and stuff. And we'll talk a little more about that. Other movies like hers are like kind of like Eric said, they're just like an experiment. Like, hey, what if we just photograph movement and do it in negative and do it in reverses and play with the motion and the and the speed and the editing? And I see here experimenting very, very clearly with editing. I think editing is something we got to talk about a lot here because I think that that along with um, some of her ideas and dreams and and duplicities and, and things like that, I think editing is a place where she is probably very, very influential to people and how she uses editing to tell the story. And one of the things I heard about her, because I did a little research too, like watched and read things about her and listened to some things about her. One of the things that she was really strong about was trying to use film in a way that was exclusively uh, had to be film. You know what I mean? Like she wanted to use, to make films that couldn't be plays and couldn't be stories in narrative forms other than film. They had to be film. So I think that's where I say she's not necessarily natural. She's trying things out. Definitely trying things out. I was re- I was checking out a visual essay on Maya Darren, and they're talking about the beauty of just the match cut with the editing. You're editing, it seems like two disjointed cuts, but it's actually a seamless cut into something completely different or otherworldly. And you you'll see this. I, I actually I think Eric Holmes, out of all three of us, has, has watched most most of the Maya Darren shorts, but we could see a lot of interesting. Yeah, I was surprised at how you can be in one section of, of a story and it just complete, completely takes you into this whole, whole weird Christopher Nolan type universe. And you're going, what the heck is going on here? Eric, from all the stuff you've seen of Darren, did you notice the editing style as well as, as much as Bruce did regarding her aesthetic? I, I mean, the, the editing style seems to be very choppy, but intentionally so. It, it, it's hard to describe, but yeah, that, uh, well, okay. Tree of life guy, Malik. Terrence Malik, Terrence Malik. Yeah. yeah. We did tree of life and they, they do the scenes where it's like uh, someone's just walking and they do, they do cuts of the same. They have edits of the same camera angle, but people are like moving around different and they kind of use that sort of as a passage of time or uh, sort of is kind of a dreamlike sort of edit. Um, I like that there's a lot of that in here. I don't know if that's the first time it's been done, but uh, she seems to be, especially in the uh, meditation on violence and well, pretty much all of them. She's got those kind of where the, the camera's in one spot, but they keep, uh, you know, cut, making really hard cuts. And it has a def- definitely has like a kind of as a dream sort of quality to it. I've mentioned before of uh, uh, nightmares I have of going into a, going through a door and going through another door and another door and like the buildings never ends. But a lot of her movies have 
that kind of quality to it. And what was it? Actually, it, uh, I think it was Atlan. Is that the where she goes like through a door and comes out another door and then goes into another door? But like it's in one shot. <laughs> so you see her go in the door and come out the other door. Yeah, there, there's just a bunch of weirdness to it. Yeah, it's uh, I, I, I don't know. It feels like a, oh. All right, here you go. And I'll bring it back around to Mr. Bungle because I always got to do that too. Mm. But uh, I, I always love Mike Patton. And then he started doing his adult themes for voice in Pranzo Tronza, which was basically him just doing noises with his voice. They weren't songs per se. It was just kind of him experimenting with his own voice. And he put it out as an album. That's kind of what Maya Darren's movies feel like to me. It feels like it's... You know, I, I think I mentioned it before. She just she has this new tool. And it's like, well, let's see, let's see what this thing does. And then there was uh, one of her uh, uh, biographers, and I can't remember her name, but she was talking about vertical filmmaking. I, I have you heard about that? Where like you just kind of layer things on top of each other, but like the the you see them all at the same time. But the things kind of kind of tell a story within each other. It's it's hard to describe. You know, Eric, you you did a good point. And before I get to you, Bruce, I wanted to add to that thing about the camera. You said her relationship to the camera. I was reading. She was also with Maya Darren. She, this is just for this episode. This is a tip of the iceberg because along with her shorts, which we have watched a bunch of their, her shorts, she's also a great writer, a really interesting essayist. And one of the things that she, in one of her writings, she was talking about how with the camera, the camera is another part. It's not just, don't just put the camera on a tripod and portray the actual scene, shoot it, get your, get your camera off the tripod, physically carry the camera and follow it. Your movements become part, the camera basically becomes part of the story. So the physical action that you take with that camera will influence the actual frame itself. And that's why probably we see some of that stuff with, with her work that it's really sometimes maybe seemingly dis- disjointed or it's not really in a fixed place where well, there are a couple of freeze frames sometimes with her work, but a lot of the stuff is very kinetic. And it's about her saying, take an active role in shooting your film and take it off the tripod. I thought that was a very interesting thing mm-hmm. about her. Is that something, one of the many things you saw as well that, that found you that, that you really enjoyed about Maya Darren's aesthetic, the handheld approach, Bruce. Yes. And I actually heard that same quote from her. That was really interesting. She said something like your body can is much more flexible and, and much more responsive than a tripod, which will like, I think she said something about the tripod will limit the way you can shoot because you're stuck to the tripod basically. (laughs) And I think that that goes with her aesthetic. She's obviously highly influenced by dance and movement. And you see that, time and time and time again, where there's dance, literally dancers or dancerly like movements in her, her works. And I think that's telling. Uh, we were talking about the dream logic and editing. I'll, I'll bring up Atland as well. The thing that really struck me in Atland was the scene when, and I don't know if you ended up watching it, Eric, or um, Greg, but I know Eric did. didn't get to Atland. Yeah. There's a scene where she's climbing a rock in the beach. And then as it shows her hands reaching up, then her hand reaches up and you see her hand reach over the edge of a table at a banquet. And then it does interesting. And this is where you use editing to tell a story. That's really interesting. Where it's like, now she's peeking up over the edge of the table and then it goes back to the shot of her legs still on the rock. And then when mm. she climbs up onto the banquet table and it's the point of view of her crawling across the banquet table, and then it cross cuts to her crawling through like grass and then back to the table. And that's, 
super interesting and evocative and dreamlike. And it makes you try to fill in stories that you wouldn't do if it wasn't that juxtaposition of, of scenes in, in the editing and, and by mimicking the scenes, like Eric talked about that does that. And there's some other things in, in meshes and some of the other ones that do similar things, or there's some scenes in um, the ritual transfigured time where we talk about very rarely does she does freeze frames, but she does freeze frames. And at first you're not quite sure what those mean, but you feel like you have to imbue them with meaning because she always has so much motion and then she freezes on something. And eventually she starts freezing on the guy. That's the really athletic looking dude. And it starts becoming like, he's a statue. And then it's like, he's a, but then it's like, he's a statue that's chasing her, but keeps freezing. And that is really creepy in a weird way. To me, it was at least, I don't know how it struck you. Well, you know, what's funny meshes of the afternoon is considered her trademark. Okay. Again. And like you were saying, Eric Holmes, it's a co-directing situation with her and her first husband. I was excited to see Meshes of the Afternoon. I see the Lynchian references. It is, she, I, she did not like being called a surrealist, but I found it to be surreal. Okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry, my Darren. Uh, rest in peace, my Darren. But one of the biggest surprises about this was the short of hers that really, really resonated with me was Ritual and Transfigured Time in 1946, which you mentioned, Bruce. And here the, the plot line is, quote, an experiment, an experiment with editing techniques that distort space and time in order to further contextualize an image. And I have no idea what that means, but it's <laughs> the short, along with starring Maya Darren, it stars Frank Westbrook as the aforementioned dancer that Bruce mentioned. It, I, I'm probably butchering her name, but we all, the people who read more than I do know her diaries. Anais Nin is a big part of that, that scene in that time. She is, she plays a quote, haughty woman in the short. And also this woman named Rita Cristiani. She is a Trinidad born dancer who worked mainly in her, in the 1940s. And she is the, actually the main character in ritual in transfigured time. A lot of people saying that woman, that black woman, she was actually the alter ego of Maya Darren. Yes, she may have played the alter ego of Maya Darren in Ritual and Transfigured Time, but she had the most screen time in the 14 minutes of that short. Eric, were you able to see Ritual and Transfigured Time with the dancing, the black woman, then Maya Darren in the party? Yeah. Did you check? Oh, what did you think yeah. of that short? Now, I, a bunch of these run together for me, but if that's the one I'm thinking of, that was basically like the... Uh, what was it? The meditation violence, but just with dance. Right. And then there, there's Where, spinning something. There's yeah. two women spinning each other. Yeah. They- now, as I recall, there wasn't too much to that. It was just kind of dancing and, you know, just kind of playing around with light and movement and everything. And it's weird that you said that she didn't want to be known as a surrealist because that's, <laughs> I mean, hey, I don't want to be known as the funniest guy in the world, but I keep talking. So. <laughs> <laughs> very cool you know it, but, to your point yeah it, it has a lot of dance in it has a lot of dance i found that with that first half of that short really creepy because you see sort of a yeah you see it starts with a room right you see the silhouette two two rooms and the two women you don't know are they are they in the same space together the the black woman she moves through this 
nighttime situation with all the this really upper crust people. And it starts off as she's trying to weave her way into the group of people. You think she's they're just talking normally, but suddenly they start to dance and weave in and out of each other. And then it becomes like, wow, this is something like this is very, I guess, sorry to say this, very surreal as well. So Eric, you're yeah, that, okay. Now I know which one you're, because that, when you said the upper crust people, that was when I was watching it going, I know why this is Greg's favorite. This totally feels like a uh, Joseph Lewis or Brian De Palma movie with the people in the suits. And then, and then, yeah, they do the dancing and there's like a, yeah, kind of like a palm of the circumstance, but like, there's like a wonderful backgrounds and costumes and everything. So yeah, I'm maybe it was a studying choreography for camera that I was uh, confusing it with, but yeah. Yeah, Bruce, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that, that 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 particular one I was watching, going, oh yeah, Greg's gonna eat this one up. Yeah, and I ate it. I, Bruce, did you feel that same way? Did you find that a little bit that the the opening first half of that ritual and transfigure time to be very interesting as well, or maybe uh, I did. I, I I thought the part that was really interesting, and you kind of mentioned it is there's the the two doorways. There's yeah. two doorways, and she was behind one doorway, um, like spinning yarn or something. Yeah. And then she'd go back and forth, and then the other person walked through the doorway and looked at her, and then it was in slow motion. There was threads. I thought that was all kind of interesting and kind of to the point of what Eric was saying with uh, ritual. Like, she does a lot of things with ritual. And once again, if you didn't see Witch's Cradle, she does a whole bunch with strings and twine and the idea kind of a cat's cradle, but also it kind of works like she plays with string magically becoming either a noose or like a vein on someone's arm. It's really interesting and strange how she does. She, she does things that are kind of witchy. I don't know how to describe it any other way. There's some witchy, like ghosty dream. There's like conjuring. There's lots of stuff. And I mentioned this to you offline was it, there's no reason to think this, but all the time when I'm watching this, I keep thinking of black Dahlia and I keep thinking of these kind of like, Mm weird dark ritualistic underbelly of hollywood you don't quite see and and there's just a mood with a lot of my adaran stuff that somehow for me evokes that i i don't have a reason and i think it's because once again it's dream logic right so different dream logic hits you like meshes the afternoon doesn't hit you but the ritual one does whereas maybe witch's cradle hits eric a little more because it's where your subconscious kind of vibes into whatever she's putting out there because it's it's like that what hit well, you the well, most I, oh, yeah, oh sorry. I, I was gonna, i was gonna add on to the witch's cradle because he mentioned the the strings with the blocks on it and then before the the vein going up and down my arm now with the blocks like the the first time i watched it i didn't catch the string so i'm like how'd she get the block oh okay i see the string there <laughs> yeah. but the uh the the vein thing moving up and down like that there was a lot of uh there was a lot of stuff in Witch's Cradle, even though I think Meshes of the Afternoon is a better movie. I think Witch's Cradle does a bunch of really cool stuff, like effects-wise, which really, uh, which really turned me on to Vampire when we watched that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm watching that, going, "Wow, how'd they do that?" Because you know this was a time prior to CGI, and even more with Maya Darren, you know these are all shorts on 16 millimeter. And I, as far as I could tell, it's just kind of her by herself and her husband with the camera. So then you got to wonder, it's like, how'd you guys pull that off? Like, <laughs> that, that that looks really cool. And I, I'm just, a, a lot of these times I'm watching it, just kind of wondering how they figured that out. Or, you know, it's, it's like watching a magic trick. You see the coin disappear and it's like, where'd the coin go? How, how do you make that happen? 
and that's kind of that's kind of where witch's cradle lands at with me there's a there's a bunch of magic tricks hidden in there for sure Very and cool one other thing i would mention about this that we haven't really touched on but the idea that when this is happening not only you know women filmmakers we you know ida lupino we talked about of course but this is the aesthetic of do-it-yourself filmmaking absolutely independent filmmaking other than she had some artistic people um, helping her, her fund this, which I think she had a, a couple benefactors that would just wanted her to make art. But other than that, this is just very much, you get a 16 millimeter camera. They're actually becoming somewhat affordable to the average person. It's probably only the film and the development that's really expensive and editing and all that, but there's no studio involvement whatsoever. There's no, she's absolutely free to explore what, Ever idea she wants to explore. And I think that that is something that we haven't really seen in this time period in the stuff we've discovered or we discussed so far. So, okay. So I did a little bit of a mistake when I, I said to both of you not to go check out because of time, time permits things. I told you guys not to watch in the mirror of Maya Darren. And I'd made a double mistake by actually watching the documentary in the mirror of Maya Darren before watching Maya Darren's work. So I ended up being, I was fine with that documentary. It's very informative. But after watching a bunch of her shorts, I went back into the documentary and realized how awesome of a documentary in the mirror of Maya Darren currently streaming on Canopy is. Why is it awesome? Yes, it shows portions of a huge bunch of Darren's work. It is not just an entryway into Darren's work. It is a documentary for people who have seen Darren's work. So it's one of those things, if you know Maya Darren's work, in the mirror of Maya Darren is worth your time. It came out in 2001 or 2002. Here is why it's worth your time. There's a lot of interviews with people who knew Maya Darren during that time from the 40s and 50s. Okay. And a lot of those people interviewed in that documentary in 2001, 2002 have, has now, have now since passed. So that is a time capsule documentary in the good way. For example, Ritual and Transfigured Time. I mentioned Rita Christiani. She's actually interviewed and talking about Maya Darren. And during the interview, I went back and I actually, the actual information stuck with me after watching Darren's stuff. She said, while making Ritual in, Trans, in, Ritual in Transfigured Time, you know, she praises Maya Darren, but she also mentioned how much she really you know, she was actually attracted to Maya's then husband, Alexander Hamid. And she was saying he was the sweetest, most wonderful guy. And then she was saying that she, and I think the, the second wife that Alexander Hamid married, she and that woman ultimately were talking behind Maya's back and saying how much they both liked the, liked the man. And she said, well, well, she got him now. Maybe I'll just get him in another life. So those kind of really interesting tidbits are found in the documentary. The thing that really gets my, a lot of things gets Eric Holmes's goat. Things that get my goat is part of the reason why we did find your film is I'm not saying any of us are grade A reporters, but we want to try to spotlight filmmakers and give as much information as possible. I looked at the Wikipedia on Rita Cristiani and it says, okay, so she worked on this thing with Maya Darren and she, in Wikipedia, she may have been a nurse for the rest of her life. And I'm thinking Rita Cristiani, she's interviewed in this interesting documentary in the mirror of Maya Darren. Why is it only one documentarian or maybe a couple who actually followed up on some of these people who worked with Maya Darren? There should be volumes of archival stuff 
on not just my Darren, but the people who made and collaborated collaborated with my Darren. Eric Holmes mentioned meditation on violence in 1949. It just seemed like a whole bunch of dancing or choreography. And that's how it should be on a surface level, okay? How most people will see it. Bruce, what did you think of meditation on violence? Did you, were you able to see that? I didn't see that one, so okay, I can't well, really comment on it. Here's the interesting, well, it's just basically a guy who's, right, Eric, dancing with a sword and against a wall and everything like that. Like Eric is, yes, very good, Eric. Here's the thing. Meditation on violence has, has a combination of Chinese flute for the score and also drums, Haitian drums, okay? Now, you see this actor, performer named Chow Li Chi performing, right? Eric, it's basically an Asian performing all these artistic discipline, disciplines yeah, for about... He's basically just doing uh, martial arts, like shadow fighting, pretty much. Right. The dark gray, I'm looking, notes. dark gray background is... Whenever it's a dark gray background, he's practicing the arts of Shaolin. And when it's a white background, he's practicing the arts of the Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang Clan. But, but, so, ain't nothing to fuck with. Wu-Tang Clan ain't, ain't, ain't nothing, nothing to fuck with. Ain't Maya, nothing to yeah. <laughs> yeah. fuck with. Okay. <laughs> Wu-Tang, don't ever go with us. Go after us because of licensing. Because, you know, you guys, are, you guys have enough money. You guys are fine. But here's the thing. As far as research goes, Bruce, the actress Chow Li Chi. I looked on Google. Interviews, Chow Chi interviews, no, no interviews on Maya Darren. He's featured in the documentary, in the mirror of Maya Darren. But check this out about this. After Meditation on Violence, 12 years later, he gets his first real acting job as a curio shop owner in this TV series called Naked City. But he's best known for nine years. He was a regular on the TV soap opera headlined by Jane Wyman, Falcon Crest. So he was... An Asian actor in Falcon Crest. And for 30 years, he actually taught Tai Chi at, a, at the National Museum in Pasadena. So he was not only an actor in Falcon Crest, had a long... Oh, he was in Big Trouble in Little China. He was in Christopher Nolan's The Prestige. He was a character actor and very scant information on, on Chow Li Chi. And now we're talking about Maya Darren. He started his career with one of cinema's pioneering experimental filmmakers why is there no why it's just weird we don't have all these articles on some of these players and it just infuriates me these are the things that get my goat when it comes to researching people like my darren you know we just yeah don't know. and it's and it sucks that we don't have a lot of stuff to rifle rifle through now i think it, but i think that's like a a dunning kruger sort of thing because i like i mentioned before like in our heads it's like how, how does no one know about maya darren why isn't more people talking about maya darren and then you get into it and there's like once it scratched the surface you oh there's a there's a big following of maya darren yeah, you just have to you just have to know to look there but yep. again that's that that that's part of just you know digging into uh gems of uh films of yesteryear the things that we don't know about doesn't mean no one knows about them in fact there's a butt ton of people that know about them but it's it's always good to you know kind of spread the word where you can well we're not going to get into this too much right bruce uh just a litany of people if there's mila jovovich who else arcade fire who else bruce do you have barry cage well ritual of transfigured time is one of the track listings on the the score for midsummer that's actually one of the sound song tracks on there. And I was saying, uh, Janelle Monet has a song called Tiptoes. And in Janelle, you know, Janelle Monet, dance, yeah. awesome. There's 
mirror faced figures that are there after them. And that's dance video. So you just, yeah, I mean, all over the place, there's effects, you know, these people know that they're doing that. And um, it just, like you said, you don't see it until you know what to look for. Yeah. It's like, you don't see the pattern until someone's told you like, Hey, in that pattern is Maya Darren, you know, it's like all of a sudden there you see her everywhere. So yeah. Bruce Eric's, Pick for Maya Darren is Meshes of the Afternoon. My pick is Ritual in Transfigured Time. What is what is your pick? Would it be Meshes or from what you've seen? What would be your pick that, that really hit? Um, I think Meshes overall is my favorite one of the ones I've seen. Although I think the beginning of Atland, I like the most. That From that opening to the crawling across the table sequence, I think that is just fantastic and really interesting filmmaking. I wish the whole, the whole short had had a little more of that drive because it kind of meanders a little more after that. Once again, she's trying things out. So, yeah. And Eric, so yours is meshes, right? That's the one that stuck with you the most. I mean, that's, that uh, that's easily her best one. However, I, I would suggest if you've not, if you're like us and you've never seen Maya Darren, I would start with the witch's cradle and keep in mind, these are like 10, 15 minute long shorts. Just deal with it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're watching game. It's three hours long. You sat through that shit. Just <laughs> 15 minutes each, 10, 15 minutes each. You can do this and they're on YouTube or, you know, you can find these pretty much, uh, but watch Witch's cradle. And you're going to watch that and go, what the fuck is this shit? And then watch The Private Life of a Cat. And that's also about 10, 15 minutes. And you're going to go, aww. (laughs) (laughs) And then you get done with Private Life of a Cat. And you're like, and then just kind of stew on that for a bit. These were both made by the same person. (laughs) That is insane to me. (laughs) One is just like a, a random which satanic i don't know what the hell it is and the other one is literally a youtube cat video well you know what eric i'm not to your point i'm not going there's something that i saved on my phone which is a long paragraph i'm not going to make you guys sleep and read it to you guys but the gist of her essay was talking about her first four films starting with meshes and she was saying on meshes i learned one thing and i conceived it as this with my relationship to the camera and the story and then the second film that completely upended what she learned and she approached it a different way. And then she said on the third film, this is how I basically to your point, I think she's each film, she's learning something new or she's actually challenging her own conceptions regarding her relationship to making movies and, and crafting stories. So maybe I'm guessing that's why a lot of her stuff, maybe we're picking up stuff. We're, we're trying to build a thread, but maybe Bruce, maybe there's a reason why that some of the, her stuff is very interesting. Like one doesn't lead into each other seemingly. Right. So, well, and I think that goes with her aesthetic once again, of like no tripod, use your, you know, follow it with your body. I think her idea is that she's literally following her creative instincts and not editing herself in a sense. So I think that the disjointed or the ever-changing nature of it is also, is is the plus and the negative, right? It makes it hard for people to grab onto, but the plus is she's truly exploring what she can do with film. So, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely awesome. Eric? I, I want to add to the uh, hold, hold the camera as opposed to the tripod. 
Um, nowadays, you got the the Paul Greengrasses and the Michael Bays, which uh, the hold the camera means shake the shit out of it and edit the fuck out of it until you can't tell what's going on. But with with <laughs> with, with, with with her movies, she's it, it almost it almost feels like an intimate relationship with the. Uh, and so it's not just hold the camera because it's shaky and more you know visceral. It's hold the camera and kind of uh, let it become part of you. You know, yes. it's it, it, it's another it's another limb of hers where the camera is not just sitting there shaking, like trying to hold it straight like a tripod. It's like the camera is going to the camera is going to kind of move and kind of form along with the body. And so it becomes it, it's more of an extension than it is a uh, here's a here's an annoying camera trick to make everyone sick as they're watching it is, uh, you know, said certain uh current filmmakers have maybe learned the wrong lesson there assuming they know who my darren is to begin with but uh yeah yeah. not like you guys not like we not like we have all the time in the world to go back but maybe one of these days both of you one of you will check out i don't know if maybe eric you might have checked this out maybe not there's a something she did called divine horseman the living gods of haiti oh what the heck eric holmes did you check that out what are you I, doing? I, I, I think I did. I found, what did you like, do? Go to Haiti and, and actually find the reels? What 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 did you do? I, I looked it up on YouTube and I found like five different versions of it and I watched three of them. So I think I seen it. Eric Holmes, I'm do you sure. do you really work for YouTube? Bruce, is he is he a Pretty mole? Much. Is he a YouTube mole? What is I think it? so. Okay, so I'm sorry, Eric. The the three versions you saw were they cut up in 15 minute chunks or something, or what was well, that? Okay, so there was one where it was just a guy kind of like dancing, and then there was another one. I think it was more of a documentary, and then there was another one where it had the guy dancing, but it had stuff before that, and then they had the thing with the it's like a blackbird, like a crow or something, or and then maybe a chicken where they were spinning. I think they were trying to kill kill the chicken like doing that where they grab it by the neck and spin it mm-hmm. i mean that it was kind of it was kind of tough to uh watch but was i think there, that was like like a voodoo ritual was there music uh in, in any of these things or was it just mainly silent from your yeah, recollection there, there there was these ones I, we mentioned this before where, where i like to watch the silent film silent but these ones definitely lend themselves to music like 100 mm-hmm. percent. and i think and i could be wrong but it feels like there's uh people that seek out my darren movies and with the express purpose of making music for these movies at least that's what it seems like and I, I I can't think of a better because these these shorts definitely lend themselves to doing something like that. Okay, so she Bruce, to your point about funding and everything, I think in 1946 or 1947 she received a Guggenheim Fellowship, meaning she had more money in the coffers to work with. She used that money to travel to Haiti from 1947 to 1954. She spent numerous amounts of money and trips visiting Haiti and getting immersed into the Haitian voodoo, a.k.a. voodoo culture. So that's what Eric Holmes, you were watching. But there is an actual film, a documentary called Divine Horseman, The Living Gods of Haiti. It's based on her book, and it's directed by Maya Darren and, and Cheryl Ito. What's interesting is Cheryl Ito is actually the wife of Teji Ito. Teji Ito was the final husband of Maya Darren. Maya Darren died, I believe, in 1961. Maya Darren, Divine Horseman, The Living Gods of Haiti, is actually called footage from Darren 
over these years, she never was able to complete the film. But you were talking about witchcraft and the Black Dahlia stuff. She was very interested in the voodoo culture of Haiti and maybe other different, maybe it's a cults, religion, spirituality, all those other sides. Going back to In the Mirror of Maya Darren, Frank Brackage, which I think you know, experimental filmmaker, very iconic. He was talking about how when he, when he actually hung out with Maya Darren, he, she called him up one day and she said, hey, come over. I need you to help me uh, send out mailers for an event I'm, sp- I'm sponsoring or I'm doing. Frank Brackage comes to her place. They start doing the mailers. And supposedly, I don't know, maybe they had an argument, but Frank Brackage relays that Maya Darren in the middle of all this passionate and, and Haitian voodoo stuff, she actually put a curse on him. She put a curse on Frank Brackage. And Frank says, if I didn't actually have the blessings of an earlier priest, I think I wouldn't be here to, to live and tell about this situation. Wow. Basically, and he said, there's so many people here. And he's saying this in the documentary that says Maya Darren was a pioneer and all this, all these stuff. But you know what? She was also this. So she's a full, what people, he goes, what people don't understand is to be a great artist, you have to have all these different colors to your personality. And Maya Darren definitely while being praised by us for being a pioneer filmmaker and experimental and all this kind of vision, she was a human being who had her own foibles and flawed. So, I mean, you're putting curse on people with, with what you learned in Haiti. That has to, I don't know, that, that, that doesn't, that's more of a minus on the, on the humanity checkbook on my, on my part. Little post, a uh, couple of postscripts on Maya Darren. She died at 40, 44, uh, 1961 at the age of 44. From a from a hemorrhage, and Frank Brackage was saying maybe that hemorrhage was caused by caused by her own stress at having no money. She and Teji Ito, Teji Ito supposedly was su- supposed to come into some kind of inheritance, and he didn't. And maybe that court situation, what Frank Brackage was saying, led her to eventually have that hemorrhage. She died way too young in 1961. Still a shame that at 44 and with all those credits, it was hard for her at Teji to even have money to eat. She was also starving at the time of her passing. That's very, very sad. Divine Horseman, though, live the living gods of Haiti. It features footage from Maya Darren. It is directed, co-directed by Teji Ito and his wife, Cheryl Ito. And what's interesting, Eric, you like to watch things in their purest form, but this one it's not a Maya Darren film as far as a completed film, but it's interesting. It has footage of Darren, but it's directed by the Itos, and it's a really well-done film on, on the voodoo culture. It's black and white, and it's 55 minutes of just straight-up drumming and music and ritual stuff. I don't know if it's a pure Maya, Maya Darren film, but it's highly recommended. Divine Horseman. Yeah. The, okay. So the where they're putting the drums. I, you know, I, I think it did. Well, it, I watched one of them with sound. And again, the the only reason I'm not sure if I saw the right one is because the ones I saw were like some were longer and some were like pieces of it. And I wasn't quite in some of it was like a documentary. So I wasn't quite sure which one I was watching. It's definitely. But like, yes, that, that, that one now I'm thinking about, it, I did watch that with the sound because they, you know, you saw them playing the instruments in the background. And yep. I learned a little bit about voodoo. And do you know anything about voodoo, Bruce, about Haiti and voodoo or voodoo or any of that stuff? Uh, probably only what I learned from the serpent and the rainbow, which I'm sure is absolutely true. <laughs> so 
I'm the sticking serp- with that. The serpent and the rainbow. <laughs> we'll have a well, Bruce Perky. I don't know if it's his turn or he's gonna he's gonna his next director spotlight will be Wes Craven. So, <laughs> <laughs> but okay. So you know what? That's that's an interesting thing. Little little shout out shout out to Kino Lorber. They sent me this thing back in November called the Maya Darren Collection. It's available on Blu-ray for twenty two bucks. Little plug here. The, the collection includes the films, Meshes of the Afternoon, Atlan, A Study in Choreography for Camera, Ritual and Transfigure Time, The Private Life of a Cat, Meditation on Violence, The Very Eye of Night, and Divine Horseman. What's very interesting about this, it, it features com- a lot of audio commentary, a booklet of essays. So a lot of people smarter than us giving analysis on these shorts are very important. The, the transfers for these shorts are, are good as can be. Also, something I did not watch is a movie, a documentary made in 1987 called Invocation, Maya Darren. That is also part of this collection. I'm really loving this Blu-ray. The documentary Invocation, Maya Darren is narrated by an actress named Helen Mirren, which is very cool to have. So I'm glad I have this thing. It has a booklet. I like to trade all my DVDs in. I'm actually keeping this one from Kino. Lorber. Now, anything else be- before we got we- before we go? Any final thoughts on my Darren Eric Holmes? You have something brewing. The one thing, and I'll just throw this out because I don't have an answer for this, but this might be uh, once we put it maybe in the comments, we can get maybe someone else has some insight that we don't. But there's a, a full length, fifty eight minutes called "Season of Strangers" from 1959, mm-hmm. and that's starring my Darren, directed by my Darren, but. I don't know much of anything else about it. And to be honest, I didn't really uh, search it that much. Um, But uh, maybe someone knows, uh, is that like a lost movie of hers? Is that a movie she started and, you know, died before she finished it? Or is it a movie that was put out, but is a a lot of older movies are, they just disappear and no longer exist. Um, But I would be very interested to know what seasons of strangers is and, if it can be found or maybe it's just gone forever. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. Very good. Season of strangers. We got to do some of our detective legwork. If you guys know anything, hit up Eric Holmes at hamslime at gmail.com. Bruce Berkey, final <laughs> thoughts on Maya Darren. I would just say that for people who, who like things like David Lynch or, you know, pick your weirdo trippy semi-modern filmmaker give this a try like you said they're not super long most of these are 14 or 15 minutes and you kind of will see another side of filmmaking from an era that we mostly consider very traditionally formatted narratively seeing the 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 roots of kind of experimental filmmaking and this she along with we talked about kenneth anger and, and some of these other people are some of the i guess groundbreaking or mothers and fathers of of weirdo filmmaking and you should have it in your um you know in your brain just if nothing else just to kind of make those connections and see those patterns and stuff that come later on so yeah to to be honest on a superficial level i was attracted to maya darren because i found her attractive she she is very telegenic photogenic charismatic just watching her on in meshes of the afternoon your eyes train to her on a physical level, thankfully, that's just a superficial take. There's a lot more to dive into regarding her work and her passions. Heck, they could make some kind of movie about Maya Darren and Haiti. That would be awesome. 
you know, Maya Darren and the Rainbow, maybe, or something like that. But that would be an interesting story. Maybe David Eric, Lynch could direct it. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? And, you know, maybe when she comes back from Haiti in 1954, 1955, she's not the same person. And she always wants to, I look, it's writing itself. She, she has, she has her mind thoughts uh, back in Haiti. And actually Teji Ito, Teji Ito, her final husband said when she passed away, he took her ashes to the side of Mount Fuji and by the waters. And that's where, where he scattered her ashes. A lot of, she's a, she was a visual filmmaker that would, that would make also a great visual if they ever did a movie on Maya Darren, right? A lot of, lot of interesting stuff. And I could play once I lose my 40 pounds, I'll be, I'll be the guy dancing. I'll be the meditation on Sirs of Osti. How's that? I'll be directed dancing by, with the swords. What? Directed by and starring David Lynch. I'm going to Haiti, Jack. Come to learn about the voodoo. Come on with me on my journey. <laughs> That is that is very cool. <laughs> With enough said, definitely would love to hear what you guys think about Maya Darren. If you have any suggestions for us for movies to see on Maya Darren, who's who is next on our director spotlight? Is it you, Bruce? Are you doing the next one? Yeah, it is me. Do yep. you have Do you have a list of uh, filmmakers that you're circling in your brain that you're? Yeah, gonna... I'm. Uh, the The total shot in the dark would be. Shohai Imamura, which I haven't seen any of his stuff, but I'm kind of intrigued. But okay. also, I feel like I, I don't know if I can bite off that big of a thing, but it might be interesting just to dive in on that. I'm also kind of thinking about um, Tournier because uh, I love Curse of the Demon and Cat People and stuff. Jacques Turner? Turner? Tournier? Yeah, Turner. Turner. I don't know how to say it. Yeah. Turner. He's another one I'm thinking about. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so I'm not just you're floating around in there. I haven't made the final decision. By next week, I'll I'll make the final the final call. Well, or maybe I'll just do Stuart Gordon. <laughs> Stuart Gordon's awesome. That'd be great, Stuart Gordon. Yeah, because yeah, you're gonna make me finally see uh, Edmund, right? Is that the is that the movie? You know, that'd be cool. Well, we'll see. Well, can I? I have I have an idea. Can we? Can we? How about Emilio Estevez? Because I like Men at Work. That'd be a good director spotlight. Men at work, and let's see what else has he done. Wisdom, double heavy. Yes, yes. wisdom and men at work. <laughs> I was a big fan of wisdom, Jack. It was my favorite <laughs> Emilio Estevez's. We love Emilio Estevez. My, my other idea about, was yeah. I have one other idea. It was yeah. people very famous in Hollywood that have only directed one movie, but they're famous for something else. Oh, I don't that idea! Hello, hell, that is a great idea. By the way, yes. I'm, I have now stricken Charles Lawton from your picks. But if you ever do that, that will be very interesting as long as it's well, not Night of the Hunter. So I, I would have one already, and that would be um, Saul Bass. <laughs> really? I didn't, I didn't, he directed something? Oh, very cool. Okay. That, that is a hmm. teaser for two weeks. I, I, Bruce better. Co- Bruce is going to come up. With I don't me. know. I have too many options. I have to he, Bruce has it. a lot of options. He's going to tell us pretty soon. He's going to tell us. Pretty I, soon. I, I love the Saul Bass. Because <laughs> I, I, I don't know. What, what was the movie he directed? He directed a movie called Phase 4. Phase 4. Because he's mostly known for the intros, like the like animated. Vertigo, Anatomy of Title. a Murder. <sighs> yeah. That, that would not be a terrible Is one. Phase 4 better than Anatomy of a Murder or Vertigo? Bruce Berkey. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Okay, we, but it's that, very interesting and, and a very odd movie, and it's it's worth uh, it's worth looking at. So, 
Okay, that is. We are now closing our evening. It's not messages of the afternoon. It's evening. It's nightfall for all three of us. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed this Maya Darren episode, and we will, yeah, hit us up and tell us what you think personally about Maya Darren and her illustrious work. Take care, guys. Thank you, guys, for listening, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>